Welcome to Unlocking the Truth, a podcast where we discover God's truth for ourselves by studying His Word. Welcome to week 10 of the podcast, Unlocking the Truth, brought to you by Precept Ministries Canada. Mark Sheldrake, National Director, here with Derek Kamink. How are you doing, Derek? I'm doing great. We've done it. We've reached the end of our podcast series in James. It's been a great 10 weeks. Uh, I hope everyone listening has enjoyed working along with us. We've certainly enjoyed studying and learning and, uh, and bringing these podcasts to you. New series of podcasts coming up very soon. Watch the website for the announcement of the next uh, maybe, maybe topic or book of the Bible that we're going to work through. But we will be back to a bi-weekly podcast coming in the later weeks of September. So probably the last week of September, you'll have your new podcast coming out on a new topic, new subject within the Bible. Looking forward to that. But hey, we got to get back to James. Mm-hmm. I wanted to start our time in James just reminding you of the theme and the purpose for writing this book because we're coming to a conclusion now, a three-part conclusion into the letter. Three parts, one podcast, one theme, and then we'll pray. Here is the theme for you. Chapter 1, verse 22. Prove yourselves doers of the word not merely hearers who delude themselves. The whole purpose of writing this book for Derek James is to make sure that you are a doer of the word. You are living out the truth of God's word. So let's pray together. Almighty God, we thank you for the opportunity again we have to come to your word. We thank you for your uh, your servant James and the truths that he brings to uh, those who have been dispersed, uh, but also to us as believers as we try to live a life that we are as doers of the word and not merely hearers of the word, that we speak and act as those who are living under the law of liberty, which is the, the gospel, uh, for which we are so grateful. And I pray that as we finish up our podcast that we will not forget the things that we've learned from James. Uh, but we will have them written on our hearts and we will continue to live them out. Pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. So in my house, Derek, I have two teenagers. Lucky Uh, you. Yeah. My son is 14. My daughter just turned 13 uh, this summer. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've got to tell you, very interesting. I have been a youth pastor. I've had teenagers in my life for a really long time, multiple teenagers, One of the blessings of having teenagers as a youth pastor, they go home. Mm -hmm. You know, they go to their parents. Uh, Now I have teenagers in my house, and uh, we've learned some things that uh, in conversation with my daughter, this is more of a conversation with my wife. She's Mm -hmm. probably going to listen to this. But uh, there was a time in the summer when we were getting ready to head to Florida for a vacation. Mm -hmm. And uh, the plan was... Disney nails, you oh know, get your nails done all Disney. Right. Don't understand that philosophy, <laughs> but hey, girls will be girls. That's right. So what happened was the promise was there from my wife to mm-hmm. take my daughter to get her nails done. 
and she came home and my daughter was so looking forward to going but there was no appointment available oh no in the nail salon i guess this is far outside <laughs> of my knowledge base but my daughter was devastated you know she she kind of to the point where she acted out which mm. was not appropriate mm-hmm. and just very interesting but it makes me and reminds me even of, I don't know, maybe you've had it in your life where somebody has promised you something mm-hmm. and then broken that promise. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's it's something that happens quite often. Uh, we have to make sure that we're not doing that as uh, as believers. Uh, we come into into James and he gives us this, uh, this verse 12. He begins his three-part conclusion and he says, uh, but above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or under any oath, but your yes is to be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. James, what are you doing, man? (laughs) (laughs) You know, yeah, we've got this idea here that uh, what James is calling us to as believers, those who profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, is straightforward and honest speech. Mm -hmm. When you speak, when you make a promise, when you lay that out, that you do it. Right. One of the historical aspects of this is that in the Jewish time, in the scriptures, people would make oaths, they would make promises, and they would be sort of, I swear to God that we're going to do this. Mm And then they wouldn't do it. Right. And so there would be oaths that would be brought through deception, deceiving, you know, right. misleading. And now what James is calling us to is lay it out all on the line. Mm-hmm. Be honest with your speech. Be straightforward. Don't be conniving. Don't be hiding. Put it all out there. That's right. Let your let your yes be yes and your and your no be no. It means means simply that that there there shouldn't be a need for you to swear on anything else. You shouldn't need to convince somebody that you're telling the truth. And it comes down to uh, what your reputation is. And uh, if you are known as someone who over promises and under delivers, then it's going to get to a certain point where people aren't going to believe your promise. And then you have to start saying, "But I really mean it," or "I swear that I'm going to do it," or "I promise you that." It's going to get done. And, and uh, the issue is that people were using God's name in order to get people to agree to some sort of decision or agreement when there was no intention of, of actually fulfilling it. This is the problem with politics. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about in the church here. That's right. You know, in the world, politicians overpromise and underdeliver all the time. Mm-hmm. And yet believers get so frustrated when worldly people overpromise and underdeliver. Mm-hmm. And what we're looking at here within the church is don't be what you see in the world. Right. Be yeah. honest, straightforward. Leviticus 19, chapter 12 was one of the verses that we want to look at. The other is in the book of Matthew and Matthew chapter 5. So let's look at Leviticus chapter 19 first. Leviticus 19.12 says, You shall not swear falsely by my name, so as to profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. And this is, this is about making sure that we are not 
taking the Lord's name or making a promise on the Lord's name uh, because when we do not fulfill it, whether we intend to or not, when we don't fulfill um, that promise or come through with what it is we've said we're going to do, it actually makes God look bad. It profanes God's name. It dilutes God's name. And so instead of, well, I really meant to, but I just didn't get around to doing it, don't ever use God's name in an oath. Yeah, Matthew chapter 5 uh, reiterates what you're just saying, verses 33 to 37. Again, you have heard the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but you shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven or for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black, but let your statement be yes, yes, and your no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil. I mean, we could spend an entire podcast mm -hmm. talking about your yes being your yes, yeah. but we'll summarize it one more time for you. James is calling you to straightforward, honest speech. That's right. When you make a vow, if you make a vow, if you make a promise, keep the promise. You know, it's not just your integrity, I think, that's at stake. Exactly. It's uh, your reflection of uh, Jesus Christ mm -hmm. in you as well. Next uh, subject. Three subjects today. Mm -hmm. One is oath. Two is prayer. From 13 to 18, James talks about how we are to pray in different situations. He starts by saying, "If Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? Then he is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call on the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven. So James is laying out, here are all the ways that you can feel, or here are all the, the ways that you can be. He says, if you are uh, suffering, if you are cheerful, if you are sick, and the response to each and every time we feel those ways is to go to the Lord, is to go to prayer, to focus on him instead of uh, what it is that's happening in our own life. Context is so important in this passage mm -hmm. because all of chapter 5, it's talking to the brethren who are in the midst of suffering. Mm -hmm. And to be patient for the day of the Lord is coming. Right. That if you're in the midst of suffering, that you need to pray. There is a connection here. This is not the first time that we have heard this. Mm -hmm. In James chapter 1, verse 2, consider it joy when you face various trials. And so he also challenges us in chapter 1 to pray mm -hmm. and ask God for wisdom in how we are to respond in those trials. Here he says now that we are to pray when you are suffering. Mm -hmm. And so when you pray when you are suffering, again, it changes that perspective that God will answer your prayer. He will show you that a cheerful heart mm -hmm. brings worship. Mm -hmm. And so this is our response, that in trial and suffering, we should have joy and then we should 
be able to worship. And I want to just go back, and I should have mentioned this eight or nine weeks ago. Mm-hmm. That joy that James is describing in the Greek is shara. Mm. And when I did a further study on that, that joy that is described there is the same joy that describes when the angel said that the baby Mm. was born in the manger. Right. It's the same joy that the people were to have when the tomb was empty. So you've got this vision now Mm -hmm. of my response to my trials and my suffering is to pray and have God give me the heart and the mindset of the same reaction as when the Savior was born and when he was resurrected. Right. Whew. Yeah, that's that's a now that's a bigger ask than it was before. <laughs> it's it's more than just suck it up. <laughs> now it's it's changing completely your understanding and your perspective of of who you are and uh, that when we think about that moment of Christ's birth, how the heavens reacted, if that's the same way we're to react for when trials come our way, uh, I, I have a feeling that we're, we're not quite getting to that same level of joy. Mm-hmm. And, and this is the problem, is that it all comes back to that perspective, which mm-hmm. we did talk about and have talked about the entire time. And so we got to pray. Yeah, We've got to take this to the Lord. Mm-hmm. And that really does summarize prayer is mentioned multiple times through those verses. If any among you is sick, context, so important here. Mm -hmm. If any among you is sick, the idea of sick there can mean two things, physical ailment or weakened by your suffering. Mm -hmm. And so if you are physically ill or weakened by your suffering, what are we called to do? James calls us to call on the elders of the church, and they are to pray over us, anointing with the oil in the name of the Lord. Well, we have a fantastic study on 1 Timothy, which talks about the elders, Mm -hmm. essentially the leaders, the more mature of the church, that we're to call on them. They might have the right things to to say to us. Mm -hmm. They have be able to go to God the Father and have some biblical wisdom and truth to bring to us when we are physically sick, when we are weakened in spirit, but we know that we can go to these faithful leaders that God has put in place and ask them to pray for our deliverance. That's right. For our for our healing from our sickness, um, from deliverance from the oppression. Um, and what's interesting is that the call is not for the one who is sick to have faith. Mm. It is the faith of those elders that is going to bring the restoration through that prayer and through the anointing. So the Old Testament talks a ton about anointing with oils. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the book of Leviticus, talks about the anointing of oils. And what we've got here, most likely scholars believe, is a metaphor of the working of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. through that anointing for deliverance and healing of sin. Right. And so, again, we could spend an entire podcast looking at anointing, the anointing oils, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. But the reality is, what this means is, in our weakness, go get support. Mm -hmm. 
And so go out to the elders and ask them to pray. And their prayer, like you said, offered in faith that they believe. That's right. God will deliver. The healing and the restoration will come. Right. Yeah. And so uh, we should kind of look at this next part of this verse. Uh, the prayer offered up in faith will restore the one who is sick. The Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven. Two things, I think. Physical. Right. Spiritual. Right. But we have to talk about the reality here. Mm-hmm. Is there may be people listening to this podcast that have had elders come to their family, mm-hmm. anoint them with oil, and physical healing didn't take place. Right. So what do you think, Derek? He's telling us. Well, my obviously the the hope is that maybe he's telling us that hey, if if you pray with enough faith, then healing is going to come all the time. But we know, we simply know that that's not what happens. And so we know that he must be talking about that and something else, that there's a double meaning meaning in the restoration and the healing. And it, it says that when the prayer is offered in faith, that God will restore the one who is sick. The Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, uh, they will be forgiven him. Again, if we're in this context of persecution, of suffering, and of oppression, and the sickness is the weakness caused by that suffering, then what we're praying for and what we're expecting is that a time is going to come that uh, God will raise us up out of the persecution, out of the suffering, and out of the difficult circumstances. And if we have committed sins in those times when we are suffering, that they will be forgiven. And that is such an incredible truth to know and to have because when we are, when the circumstances of life are difficult, when we are feeling like we are being tested, it is so easy for us to sin, to take our eyes off God, to focus on ourselves, to fill our hearts with anxiety and with anger and with worry. But what we are told is that when we call on the more mature, when we call on people to to pray for us in faith, that what's going to happen is God is going to be faithful to those prayers, that we will receive deliverance, that we will be restored, that we will be raised up, that we will come out of. And any sins that we have committed, if we have changed our hearts and focused again on God, uh, that those sins will be forgiven. I really like the idea of pinning this back to the heart. Mm -hmm. And if you are going through suffering and you are weak in your sickness, the moment you make that phone call to call the elders in for the anointing Mm -hmm. of oil and for prayer, that is the heart of a repentant person. That's right a humble person who is willing to admit that they cannot do this on their own, Mm -hmm. that they are, in some cases, may even confess sin to the elders that they have done. We have to make this blatantly clear. If you're in that opportunity where you're saying, hey man, there's some sin in my life. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm suffering because of that. Maybe I'm suffering because of very other, other various reasons. When you lay that before the elders and now they know a way to pray for you, they can't save you. Right. The elders have no ability to bring salvation to you. Mm -hmm. That is done by Jesus Christ. Right. But their prayer is by faith that Jesus will restore. Mm -hmm. 
Well, it's not just the elders that we are to go to and pray Mm -hmm. for one another. What does it say in verse 16? 16 says, therefore, confess your sins to one another. Now, that's not just the elders. that's, That's other believers. And pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. So we're called not just to call in the elders, but we're to have people in our life that we can go to, that we can confess our sins to, that we can pray with and pray for and be prayed for. Um, So it's not just the elders, but we are to be open and have a heart of confession for with others as well. And I think that this comes back to a lot of what James has been saying in this chapter about, or in this entire book, about humility, that we have to have a heart that is humble, that we are not focused on our own circumstances, but considering trials joy, that we're not focused on just our riches and not being tempted, that we are doers of the word, that we are not showing favoritism, that we're not breaking the law, that we're not judging one another, that we have to tame the tongue. It's all about humility, putting ourselves in a right position under God, but also with other believers as well. And when we are in confession, it is hard for us to feel like we can stand in judgment. It is when we're in confession is when we are at our most vulnerable and our most humble. And so James continues to call us to humble ourselves before God and before others. So this is a good opportunity to ask everybody listening, and I'll do it with a Southern (laughs) y'all. Do y'all have an accountability person? Mm. Somebody that you can talk to, that you can share intimate things in your life, mm-hmm. like sin struggles, right. things that you need prayer for, someone that you can stand before and say, I've missed the mark, mm-hmm. pray for me, mm-hmm. help me overcome my struggles. Mm-hmm. This is what we're being called to in the therefore, is we should have accountability as believers because when you have accountability, you have repentant hearts, Mm -hmm. you have people striving after God, you have righteousness prevailing. And when you start plugging into those relationships and those connections, having true repentance, truly feeling like you're saved, he gives this phenomenal example of what righteousness can do mm-hmm. and what a righteous man can do through prayer. Right. Yeah, he points us to the prophet Elijah, who he says was a man with a nature like yours, which means he wasn't a superhero. He wasn't special in any way. He didn't have any particular spiritual advantage. But what he did and what he, he understood is he knew who God was and he put himself under God. And so he says that he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. He prayed earnestly with, in faith, understanding and knowing the power of God and who he was. And it says, and then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain and the earth produced its fruit. And so we're given this example of A regular person, just like you and I, who through the power of praying in faith was able to stop the rain for three years and then to produce it again. And it wasn't so that Elijah could make himself 
greater. It was to bring glory to God. The context was that the king and the queen were mocking God. They were bringing other gods into the land and worshiping them and leading the people away from worshiping God. And Elijah understood and knew who God was and knew that didn't work. And so his desire was to, again, to bring glory to God, not to bring glory to himself. God hears the prayers of a righteous man. Mm -hmm. God answers the prayers of a righteous man. When the elders and the people were all praying for each other and sins are being confessed, God is going to work because he answers prayer of the righteous people. Two verses left in our podcast. And uh, conclusion part three. Verses 19 and 20. My brother, and if anyone among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his soul from the death and will cover a multitude of sins. There's sort of a Christianese term that helps us summarize verses 19 to 20. Maybe you've heard this term before, but the term is backslider. Hmm. Somebody who is starts out passionate on fire for the Lord and begins to slide mm-hmm. in their relationship right. backwards, reverting back to their old ways, mm-hmm. to walking away from the faith. There's a description of this in a word that helps us further understand is apostasy. Mm-hmm walking away from the faith. James here is addressing that, walking away from the faith. Right, and he's, he's calling believers, my brethren, that if there is someone who you know who is walking away from the faith, who is straying, who is backsliding, he says uh, that if someone, a brethren, turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the air of his ways will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. James is calling the believers to go to those who are backsliding and straying from the truth and calling them back into a right relationship with God and a right understanding of the gospel so that their souls can be saved from that eternal death once again. This is discipleship. Mm -hmm. This is getting people to know the truth, understand the truth, And remember the whole theme that we started this podcast with, not just a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. Mm -hmm. And so we need to be conscious of who are people that are beginning to stray and walk away from the truth. Show them truth, point them to truth, unlock Mm -hmm. the truth, and show them how to live in a way that brings honor and glory to God. Here's the reason why. Look what's at stake here. Death. Their soul. Their soul. And so this is not just a physical death that will be, this is a spiritual death. This is ultimate separation from God. And if we could only understand the urgency in that very fact Mm -hmm. of discipleship, that when people begin to stray and wander, it's our duty to go and get them and bring them back. That's right. To show them the word of God to show them the truth. Mm -hmm. I don't know, teach them how to study the Bible using the inductive Bible study method. The best way to do it. Establish them in the truth. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, as a believer in Jesus Christ, when you bring back that one who strays, you are taking them away from death and judgment Mm -hmm. 
I think this is the reason James writes the letter, is because he sees that there are people who are backsliding, who are straying from the truth. And what he's doing in this letter is he is calling those who are still believers to get themselves right before God and with each other within the church so that they are prepared to go and bring back those who are backsliding. Everything that James talks about Everything that James brings up, everything that can fix us into, in our hearts, these are all things that could prevent us from doing what we are called to do by James, by going and bringing those, those people back. If we can't control our tongue, if we're fighting with one another, if we're focused on our own self and our own riches, if we place ourselves above one another and are judging each other, then we are not in a place where we can go to someone and bring them back to a believing faith, that we need to make sure that we are in a right standing with God so that we can do what we are called to do. So that brings us to the end of the podcast for the book of James. And I wanted to ask you, how are you doing? Think about all of the things that God has been showing you through the book of James. Some of these things bring about great conviction. You know, is my tongue tamed? Do I judge others? Am I just a hearer of the word or am I a doer of the word? Am I praying for my brethren? Am I confessing my sins? Do I have somebody who I can be accountable with that will hold me to living a life that brings honor and glory to God? So many challenges in this letter that I pray that you would go back through the book of James and see it over and over and over again and be reminded of what you are called to. Called to living a life that brings honor and glory to God. Being a light in a very dark place. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for what you have shown us. We thank you for this book. Father, how convicting it is for us to be lining ourselves up to the word of God, but that's why you've given it to us. You've given it to us because you show us the right way to live. You show us how to come to you. You show us how to confess our sins. You show us how to walk each and every day in a way that brings you glory. So Father, as we walk now, as we become doers of the word, remind us of these truths. In your name, amen. For more information on Precept Ministries Canada, visit us online at www.preceptministries.ca or call us at 877-234-2030.